Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. I'm in my garden again, it's a lovely night. My guest this time is Biliana Vuchkova, a violinist, composer, improviser, much more based between Berlin and her rural residency on the Black Sea coast of Bulgaria. What I'm really enjoying about Biliana's work is what I perceive to be an interest in exploring sound from as many different angles as possible. That's really evident in this series that she has running at the moment, Duo's 2022, a series of releases in collaboration with Relative Pitch, which brings Biliana together with a bunch of people in a duo format, and they record together, play together. These releases will be documented on, I mean, firstly on Bandcamp, but also Biliana has a page on her website which goes into more detail with each of these duos. There's this sense of wanting to explore sound from as many different angles as possible in collaboration with as many different personalities in as many different spaces. She's very interested also in time and long duration as well. So what happens when you unravel sound over a certain time span? I mean, we first connected over Seeds of Songs, her release last year on Takuroku, Kafioto's label, which finds coherence and narrative by assembling a collage of unrelated sounds. And I feel like that's a nice way in. Finding coherence and meaning by culminating as many different sounds and approaches and possibilities as possible. And obviously that leads to a great conversation. Biliana had so many lovely stories to tell so many experiences she could pull on and this completely flew by so head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for all the links i should say the second in the duos release series came out yesterday as i'm releasing this so may 6th and it's with leila Baudre, the brooklyn-based cellist called the seventh water that follows the emerald figurines which is Biliana's collaboration with Michael Zarang, a clip of which you'll hear very shortly. So yeah, I'll put the links to that on Attention Magazine. And if you have the means, please do donate to the show on coffee, ko-fi forward slash crucial listening. <laughs> I've watched that. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, that helps me pay for the small amount of outgoings that keep the show ticking by. Thank you for your support as always. Really appreciate it. And please enjoy this one. This is Biliana Vuchkova on Crucial Listening.
Hello, Biliana. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello, Jack. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You've come to talk about three important albums. Before we get into those, I want to talk about some recent projects of yours. Firstly, yep. The Emerald Figurines, which is an album with Michael Zerang. So this was, if I'm correct, recorded at Experimental Sound Studio in Chicago back in 2019. Yes, so maybe let's start exactly. with your memories of those sessions what can you recall from those sessions at ESS um well I can actually quite well recall everything it wasn't that long ago and it was (laughs) one of uh, you know it was one of the last active moments before COVID came so there is not as much to remember afterwards so (laughs) (laughs) this was really like a very very short time before that So what I remember is that I was on tour in the States and I talked to Michael because we loved to play together a little bit uh, more. And we decided to do a short tour, which culminated with this recording session at uh, ESS Chicago. So the session was just sitting there and playing after we've already played for a couple days. And we really did it on one go. There wasn't anything that needed to be edited much and Mm. uh, the album is pretty much chronologically um, presenting the session so there is really except uh, time adjustments for the lens there is pretty much nothing else edited so that's how that's how this came and and I do want to say that um, somehow it's really nice that this duo album opens this series of duo recordings, which I will talk about, uh, because I also opened a, a small curated concert uh, series that I run in Berlin for duos with Michael Zerank. And that was at the very, very end of 2019. And I didn't even know that this is going to turn into a little series, uh, but it actually has been going on since then. And it's for me, it's just kind of um, a nice opening for the digital album series because he also opened the live series. So it, oh, I that's find great. This, uh, yeah, I find this very, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's very special for me. And, and he's also a very special musician. And our collaboration is fantastic for both of us. We love to play together. And I think the sound world that is created is also very special. So Yeah. I've yeah. had a really nice time with this record. I uh, think thank as, you. as well the the dialogue that you have with Michael feels really potent. It's a nice thing that I think where there's sort of an equal mix of almost emulation and dialogue at the same time where there's a real ambiguity as to what's going on and from whom. I wondered if I could ask, is there anything you can pick out that you can articulate that you particularly like about working with Michael? What is it that keeps you coming back and playing together? Well, to tell you honestly, it's always difficult for me to describe music or musical relationships with words because Mm -hmm. um, I think the the musical dialogue on its own, it's already a language. Uh Um, And so it it feels like a translation to have to (laughs) to put it into words. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not a very good translator. (laughs) Um, But 
but what I would what I would say um, as an answer to your question is that in general what I find very special um, is to do this one-on-one duo collaborations with musicians that are for me special uh, so these musicians I invite and I, I do these duos and Michael is definitely, as I said, first the first one that I did it with and, and also one of um, my, my favorite duo collaborators. What is special about it is that, that it's a very unusual combination of, of instruments when mm. one thinks of a violinist collaborating with a drummer. Um, it's, it's an unusual combination. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from what I have heard, I, I don't think there, there is something like that existing, or, it's, or it happens very rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what is special for me is that we really create a sonority which, which somehow blends the two instruments in such a way that, that it's hard to tell anymore who is playing what. Yeah. Um, this is very unique for me because um, to blend with a drummer, it's yeah, it's just not happening. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I find yeah. it unique, and, and and we both love it. And and it's the most important, of course, is the personality of the musician, not not so much the instrument. So Michael has a very strong um, artistic personality, which which um, fits uh, to my aesthetic, and I, and I just love him. So that's. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a bit there about the fact that this is part of a series, which you're doing in, uh, you're, you're you're doing throughout the year, right? Duos 2022. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, maybe give me a little introduction to that generally. I mean, what was your reason for wanting to emphasize duos and do a series dedicated to duos? Well, I have loved to play in duo for the last two years since this uh, small series started, what I, what I mentioned already, the live series in Berlin. And I think especially in times of COVID, um, we long for communication between each other. Mm. And I find duos is, is really the smallest unit, the smallest ensemble that can exist. And for me, this communication is very direct and, and it reaches really deep. And it's, it's actually, how to explain it? Like, I think with bigger groups, um, it's more difficult to really go into deep dialogue fast uh, yes. because there's a lot more information, especially I'm talking about improvised music. So because mm-hmm. this is improvisation and, and with duos, I find it, very fast reaching a, a really deep dialogue level which for me is very fruitful and very rewarding and very pleasant i just mm. love to do it and and what what i also love is that um you you get to really know this the personality of the person as i said before for me it's very important the personality of the musician and so the guests that I'm picking for this for this duo series um, are all personalities and musicians with a, with a language that I absolutely love. So it's not about which instrument they play, but it's about their personality. And as I said, like I think in duo we reach this level of communication that is deep and rewarding. And I um, I decided that. 
in these times when we long for each other <laughs> and we would love to play more and to do more, I decided that it's a good time to, to have a project which um, goes throughout the whole year. Mm. So, as a continuation of the live series, I decided to do the, the release series. So, there will be, I don't know exactly how many, but minimum seven and maybe up to ten releases that will come in collaboration with the Relative Pitch Records label from New York with Kevin Riley, who embraced the idea and said that he's totally happy to put out all the albums as a series. So that's how it, it came. And also the live concert series in Berlin will continue throughout the year. So for me, it's really diving deep into this work one-on-one -on -one with mm. different musicians that I respect and admire. And I invite to join me for this uh, collaboration. So the whole year will be dedicated to that for me. Awesome. And is it all people that you've played with previously? No, actually, no. Oh, I cool. invited some people that I haven't played yet with. For example, I will do a, um, I will record an album with uh, Sharman Lee. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, she, she's yeah. She's been on the podcast. She's, yeah. Yes, she's going to join for one of the releases. I will work with Angelica Castello. I haven't ever worked with her before. Um, Susana Santos Silva will also be on the series. With her, I actually I actually played before, but never in duo. So it's really a mixture. With some of the people I played before in different constellations, with some I even played in duo, like Andrea Parkins will be part of the series also. With her, I did play some duos. And we, we kind of formed the duo by now, actually, because it's been going really well. And we live in the same city, in Berlin. Mm. With the people that are not in the same city and we are not coming together, we will exchange via sound files that we send to each other and we'll talk and we'll do the releases that way. So it will be really very, very different style duo collaborations. But what's important for me is that it will be consistent and that it will be really a, a, a deep exchange for quite some time with each person. So it's not just coming together, recording and goodbye. We listen, we talk, we play with some of them. We continue playing some of them like Joanna Matry, for example, will be in Berlin and we will do a live concert for the series and then we will oh, do the great. recording also. So it's again with each of the musicians, it will be different. And I um, actually created a, a page on my website called Duos where I explain and I write a little text about each um, musician that will join and I wrote a general text about the live series and about the digital album series so if people are interested they can find out more on that page because I will put really a lot of information there for each specific one. So. Nice one. I will pop a link in the show notes as well so people can check oh, that out you. too. Yes. Uh, so the one other thing I wanted to cover off here is the fact that and this will have happened by the time this airs for sure, but there's a two-day festival celebrating your work at, is it, how do you say it, 2220 Arts yeah. and Archives in Los Angeles. So, yeah, can you tell me about what's in store there? Yes, I can tell you. This, uh, this also happened very organically, actually, because um, I've been working with Andrew Chate, um, on a couple of occasions and he also has an organization called the Unwrinkled Ear 
So he decided to present this festival, little festival, um, since I will have a, a short residency at uh, 2220 Arts for three days. Mm-hmm. And um, it came organically because this dual series is already happening on one hand. Part of my dual collaborations is a new work that I'm developing with Sarah Davachi. And that has already started last year since we got a... Um, we got support from the virtual residences of the Goethe Institute to create a new work which is based on the music by Ernst Albrecht Stiebler, who actually wrote a piece for me, so a piece called For Biliana. And um, without knowing, Sarah called me, uh, Sarah wrote to me actually that she got this CD and that she absolutely adores his music and I was very surprised because I d- didn't even think she would know <laughs> who he is. <laughs> He's not so uh, so well known in the US but she was like, are you kidding me? I absolutely adore his music. So <laughs> so we started talking about it and, um, and recently before that there has been a remix album that came out uh, on Carl Records with uh, remixes of his music and somehow it crossed my mind and I told her, look, if you like his music so much and, and if actually we would like to do something together, why don't we think of some kind of a recomposition or remix of the piece? And she loved the idea and so we um, decided to do it and we applied for this uh, virtual residencies because it was at a time when we couldn't meet so we worked online and and so we actually have a chance for first time to meet and work on this piece together oh, wow and so andrew said and well we absolutely have to present the premiere then because you're both here and then the piece will be ready so of course that was kind of um, that was clear for us that this has to be shown at, at the at the series and at the same time another uh, thing that just happened to happen by chance is that a dear colleague of mine from berlin sabina fogel a flutist and composer also that I work with, um, is at a residency here at uh, Villa Aurora. So she's coming from Berlin, and again, she happens to be here at the same time when I'm here. (laughs) And and of course, we thought, okay, I mean, we have to also present that, of course, (laughs) since both of us are at the same time in Los Angeles. (laughs) And we do have a collaborative audiovisual piece, a media piece that we did together two years ago. So somehow there are all these connections between me and certain individuals also duo collaborations which partially have already happened and partially not really because the piece with Sarah for example was never presented uh, yet so it will be the premiere of it and we will do actually a recording and we will be releasing it later so it's all connecting somehow in a good way That's and very great. appropriately of course um, I thought that it would be fantastic if Michael Zeran can actually be with us and he will be so hey, he will oh, also great. come and we will also do like a... I kind of curated the two nights in a way that we do the piece with Sarah on the first night because it's a long durational piece. It will be over an hour long piece. Um, and on the second night, it will be improvisations and audiovisual works between me, Sabina Vogel and Michael Zerang. So we will present three sets of duos. So each of us will have a duo, kind of a long set, which I called interlacing duos. So each duo comes after the other. One person joins, one person drops. So we play like a one-hour set non-stop duos. Then we present some of the audiovisual works. 
um, and then at the end we do a trio set. So it really became a little festival, and then Michael, uh, not Michael, um, Andrew, knew that it's my birthday coming because I'm organizing a little party and I invited him. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, well, look, but then why don't we just do it really like a little festival to celebrate your work and your birthday? And I was like, yeah, sure. And it's a big one. So So that's how it happened. Amazing. Yes. Well, I really hope it goes well. Thank you. Yeah, let's move on to your important records now, Biliana. So one question I like to ask at this point is how you thought about the word important when picking your list of records was there a a way you understood that word in order to come up with the list of three records that you did yeah yeah this is actually the very first question that i also had how (laughs) how do i choose important records what is important like it how do i define what's important so I um, I was overwhelmed at first because there are a lot of records that are important in different ways. And so what I decided to do is choose records which are important to me as a musician violinist. So I really connected to string players or, or string pieces or, or something that deals with, with strings and violin in particular also. Uh, because, I don't know, because I think for me... To form as a musician and as an artist um, took a long time and I'm starting from the very back when I was first playing classical music and, and being really a standard classical violinist. That was my training and these were my first professional years in the world of music. So I decided that I would connect to strings and to instrumentalists that are creative and for me opened certain doors to realize what is possible with strings or what is possible for me. They opened the doors for me to realize that I can go in a direction that I probably wasn't aware of before. Awesome so answer. This is this is how I chose the records. So they were they were certain points in my uh, growing and developing as an artist where those records came and they opened these doors towards a direction that I probably intuitively longed for, but I didn't really know what it is yet. Great. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> which one do you want to go for first? Well, I think I will go chronologically the way that they, they appeared in my life. And yeah. so we would start first with Sofia Gubaidulina's Quanchero of Atorium. Um because I discovered this very, very early, actually, in my in my career as a contemporary musician, I was still debating, uh, not really debating, but I was still at the at the edge of of realizing what is really contemporary music, because in my early education in Bulgaria, I come from Bulgaria, which was a communist country at the time, and I studied in a very traditional specialized music school heavily um, going into classical music and actually barely giving any information about any other music. Mm. So this was a time when there was no internet and Bulgaria had pretty much closed borders. So information about other music was not really easily accessible. Um, And by the time I graduated, I was 18, um, 
I really longed for, for growing further than that. I was already playing a lot of concerts and with orchestras and recitals, and I've been in this special music school since I was five years old. So I really felt like I have reached um, some kind of a, of, of a border with classical music, which I wanted to break through. And I had no idea how. I didn't... I didn't know. I was longing for something which I didn't know what it is. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So what what happened is that I, I searched for possibilities to leave Bulgaria and study somewhere else. And long story short, I ended up actually studying in L.A., where you find me at the moment also. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was the first, um, the first um, school that I went to was USC. I studied here with a teacher from Germany whose name is Alice Schoenfeld. She invited me to do an artist diploma here and I came in 1991 to start studying in the United States. Um, and shortly after that, I think it was 92 or 93, I believe, I did an audition for a festival in Germany called Schleswig-Holstein and I got accepted and I went to the festival which takes about two months in the summer. And this was the place where I actually started discovering contemporary music because there was, within the frame of the festival, there was a two-week-long new music festival, kind of a small festival within the big festival, which was run by an incredible musician. Um, his name is Ryan Bardello, conductor, pianist, Dutch musician, composer. And he completely opened up my eyes for contemporary music. I didn't know any of the music, any of the composers. I didn't even know who is John Cage or Morton Feldman or people right, like that. Right, right, yeah. It was really absolute mind-blowing experience. I discovered the music of Messian, uh, Kurtak, Stockhausen, Ligeti, and so on and so wow. on. Like really massive figures in the contemporary music world which I have never heard before. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. And it was also somehow a relief for me because I realized, oh my God, so this is what I've been looking for somehow. I've been wanting to know more and this is more. This is the more what <laughs> I wanted to know. <laughs> and so it was really fantastic. And it was kind of the, the again, a, a very spontaneous decision to, to move on with this music because it really opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and so this was the time when I also discovered Gubaidulina as a composer. And because I was still somehow um, shaped by the years of classical training, um, I looked for concertos or, or works that she wrote, including the violin, and I discovered the offertorium. And I have to say that it Absolutely. It, it's maybe even until now one of my favorite violin concertos ever written without classifying it as contemporary or classical or anything. It's just a masterpiece. And so that does have for me quite a, a big importance because it showed me that there is something more to do with the violin that I didn't know before. Hmm. Even with the with the very traditional form of a violin concerto, I, I felt like... But this is going way beyond what I have thought that I'm able to do in violin concertos. So, <laughs> so, yeah, 
that's how this this particular record has importance to me. And then I discovered her music, I adored her music, and I started playing a lot of it. I've played the Rejoice duo for violin and cello a number of times. It's also a masterpiece. And and um, yeah, I, I had a, a phase where where I absolutely loved to get engaged with her music. Now this is back in the mid '90s. I'm talking about. I have moved quite further from it by now. And even because I re-listened to the record, of course, um, even listening to it, it's not really right now my aesthetic anymore. I have mm. to admit, it's I. I I'm listening to completely different music. I like a lot more electronic music now or ambient music or a very different style of violin playing that uses no vibrato and is very minimal. And it's it's completely different. Mm. But nevertheless, this record stands as a, as an important one for me because it was the first of a of, uh, series of records which, as I said, which opened new doors for me and, and made me realize that I can choose a different way of playing and I can choose a different career than what I thought I have options to choose so wow so that festival sounds amazing the one you went to in Germany and and that sounds like that must have been a real breaking point for you too to suddenly have this influx of all this music so I'm curious as to in amongst all those experiences why it was Sophia's music that really stuck with you and really penetrated out of all the composers that you discovered and works you discovered during that time a lot of them I imagine centered on the strings too what was it about Sophia's music that really stuck to you and opened those doors for you well I can tell you what it is Probably what it is. First of all, I think the the Offertorium Concerto is an absolute masterpiece. I already said that. It's the mm-hmm. orchestration is fantastic, um, and what I also discovered about Sophia's work later on um, is that she is a very spiritual person, and and this is actually somehow connecting all three records that I chose too. There is a certain mm, I don't know like connection to something beyond our world that all the people that I chose and all the records that I chose and the people behind have. Mm. And and for me, um, music in general is is uh, connected to spirituality completely. And maybe that's why this record and this concerto, it's it also the name of it, Offertorium, and, and in general to offer something. It made me also think, what is it that we are doing when we play like you know Mm. it's an offering of some kind and and as i said like she is a highly spiritual person and this shows in her music and she is trying to reach beyond the realms of our world in her own way and and this gave me somehow also the the possibility to think that there is a way to reach towards something beyond our world through our Mm. music and this is the way that i play now or I yeah I deal with what I do in the, in the, in that way so that's probably it and you as you said you started playing her music too what happened to your relationship with her music at that point did you get a new spin or a new understanding as you started to actually go beyond merely being a listener to this music and performing it 
Yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, I started listening a lot to music that I've never heard before. Contemporary music. I mean, also experimental music. Also, I was I was already listening a lot to jazz and to like the jazz mavericks, which have expanded jazz as a terminology and as a musical listening, like Miles Davis or people like that. So mm. that was somehow, for some reason, that was more accessible when I was still in Bulgaria and in my first years here than classical music, contemporary classical music. I don't know why. Um, so I, I started listening and I also realized something of my calling, that this is the music that touches me or that speaks to me much strong much more strongly than than classical music so it was it was clear that i would like to take this direction it just i i could relate to the aesthetic and i could relate to the sound of it and so what happened is i think that i started listening differently i started hearing differently and of course it took a long time to uh, to get to know about this music it took years to listen and to go to concerts and to to play and to get engaged i also moved to new york a couple years after i was in la and i did my masters there and um, i uh, took a program for contemporary music in my school so i got to uh, work with people like i don't know george cramp i went to tanglewood tanglewood was also another place where you would um, oh actually you know what i'm very sorry but I have to correct myself. Sure. The Contemporary Music Festival, where I discovered all this, is not Festivalstein, it's Tanglewood. Ah, cool, okay. It's just a mistake in my head. Yeah, no trouble. Yeah. So I did discover Gubaidulina's music in Schleswig-Holstein because she was there and she worked with Rostropovich at that time. And they both came and, and presented a piece with the orchestra. But the, the large two-week festival within the frame of a bigger festival was in Tanglewood. And that's gotcha. where I was a fellow. And that's where all these new music composers like Ligeti and Kurtak and all these things were played and, and listened to and, and uh, worked on. And this is where I did all my discoveries. Right, gotcha, okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Nice. We are yes. talking, you know, like 30 years ago right now, right? So, yes, um, it's quite forgiven. a while ago. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. but it's interesting because, again, when you say important records, I thought, well, important records have to be something that, that made a difference for me. Mm -hmm. and, and that happened throughout my life. It's not only the last years. Yes. So I had to go back all that way, and, <laughs> and, and somehow I, I actually, this record just came to my mind. So I thought, well, that's it. If, if I'm even thinking about it as an important record, and I'm connecting it to violin and to strings, then it is an important record. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Um, this was my first listen to this. I, I mean, I think the whole thing was absolutely stunning. It really knocked me back. But there were also some very specific moments on this initial acquaintance that i found really striking where sudden pivots into some really unexpected beautiful melodic passages that seem to kind of sprout from nowhere or just yes. almost these moments of like laying waste through sheer cacophony and then these little melodies sprouting um, yes i wondered whether or not for you 
I'm sure the totality of it is the main thing, but are there specific moments in this piece that really protrude for you as being particularly interesting or that connect with yes. you particularly strongly? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, of course. There are certain moments. I mean, first of all, uh, I think the orchestration of the piece and, and the, the way that the solo instrumental part blends with the orchestra, um, it's it's phenomenal. It's not really a solo yeah. violin concerto with an accompaniment. It's not at all. I think the orchestra and the, the different timbres of the orchestra and how she uses a single voice in some way and eventually blends within the whole group afterwards and then comes back to a single voice and switches between timbres of single voices. I think it's absolutely phenomenal how this is made. Mm -hmm. And, and they, of course, there are certain moments which, um, I mean, there is towards the end of the piece this lush, melodic part that comes, which is quite long, actually. It's towards the end. Which yeah. is, is suddenly just so overwhelming and so i don't know how to say it's so rich after all yeah. that has been happening before which is also quite rich and and, and wonderful but this lush part comes and and it, it kind of it almost feels like the the time freezes you know it just goes on and on and on and it suddenly doesn't it's 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 a frozen time that just opens up into a detailed massive detailed something for me yeah. this moment i i just i love it when it comes and um yeah they are definitely moments Biliana, let's go to your second important record now. So which one falls next in your chronological ordering? Yeah, the next one that falls is uh, Francis Maria Witti's um, Utopian Spaces. Now, this is, of course, a completely different kind of record because it's a solo. So it's just one instrumentalist playing the cello. But for me, it, it's again, um, it was something that showed me the potential of a string instrument. Like I didn't know that the instrument that I'm playing has all this potential mm. before I heard this record. And of course, followed by other records, but somehow this one, again, I'm not sure. It could be that I have heard something before which was as influential or as as or as door opening as this one but this one somehow stands out and hmm. also also Frances Maria Witte herself stands out for me she is an extraordinary innovative artist which went into her world and 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 her her trust into herself full power 
and kept being innovative throughout the years, working with composers or on her own or discovering things or, um, uh, you know, creating this whole way of playing with the two bows and just opening big time the potential of the instrument. And she's been doing that all these years and still does it fantastically. So for me, her personality, um, she's someone that I look up to, really. So this record was important to me in that sense, but also it's still important because of the person that is behind it, Francis. And do you remember how you... In fact, here's a question. Did did you meet Francis prior to hearing this record or did you hear this record first? Um, I, I met Francis prior and she is actually the one that gave me the record, I believe. Ah. Um, yes. But I knew her work from before. So I, I have already admired her work and, and what she has done before I met her. And I, I wished to meet her, but it, was, it, it wasn't really something that I thought, oh, I have to find a way to meet her. It just was a wish that was there, but I didn't know if it's ever going to happen. And then it actually happened by chance because we mm, were involved in the same project. Mm, there is a, a company, uh, dance company run by Sasha Waltz in Berlin, which was invited to present... Um, performance for the opening of the Maxi Museum in Rome. Hmm. It was a very, very big project and there was an invitation for one of the groups that I've been playing with called Solisten Ensemble Kaleidoscope to join the project. But uh, because of certain circumstances, the whole group couldn't really join. So there was a quartet, string quartet, which joined the project and I was playing the, in the quartet. And Francis was playing also in that project as a soloist. So this is where we met. And, and it actually was much more than a, a brief meeting because we were engaged with rehearsing and preparing this big performance in all the rooms of the museum before it actually opens. It was completely empty. And it's a wow. building that uh, Zaha Hadid designed. It's, uh, she's the architect. And it, it somehow stands, stands as, a, as a site. Just the building itself is already something. And um, they wanted to present this performance to admire and, and appreciate the building before it's full with the exhibitions. So mm. we had the building for some, some weeks to, to prepare this performance. And of course, we ended up also being together for all these weeks and having our wines and our cheese and our dinners and whatever else. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I got to I got to spend quite a lot of time with Francis, and we had such a nice time together. And yeah, she was playing live, and I was astonished to hear her play live also because I never heard her live before. And then she gave me the CD, and then I listened, and and so on. So somehow the story goes there but I was already on my way playing contemporary music and improvising and developing and as I said this this just emphasized to me that our instruments have such a huge potential and it's not necessarily all used yet and and mm. it gave me also a, a motivation to keep being innovative and, and researching and, and opening up to sounds and worlds that the violin could offer, which I probably was not aware of, or maybe I didn't dare 
open. I don't know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you maybe covered this question there, but you mentioned that this, you know, opened up possibilities for you in terms of how you approach your instrument. Yes. What did, what did that look like when once you discovered Francis's music? Where did your journey with your instrument go from there? Well, um, I have to just maybe clarify that it's not like this this is there is this one particular record or one particular person which happens to be Francis and the Utopian Spaces that made the whole difference. But that's somehow a beginning of, of certain openness and, and research, if you want, because then I got a lot more interested in multiphonics in general, like string multiphonics and and um, spectral music and, and all this music that is there beyond this record and beyond Francis. But but somehow that gave me the initial motivation to, to look into that direction. And so, mm. of course, afterwards I started working by myself a lot with multiphonics and with spectral music. And there is, of course, the music written by Grisé or by Nono or by other composers which I got engaged with. And then I started listening a lot a lot more to improvisers that are doing also work with strings like I don't know Joel Rianda was one of them or mm-hmm. Bar Phillips or I don't know for some reason I like low instruments I like <laughs> <laughs> I like cellos and basses a lot and and then there of course all the contemporary musicians that are around me in, in this time that we create around my age like Lucy Relton Judith Hammond is there mm-hmm. um, which violinist oh, Isha Orisbaeva, um, Sarah Saviet, I don't know, many. Or, for example, I really adored the Tutsi Nakayama, Akayama. And uh-huh. so then it was a moment of me to say, wow, look at all these incredible string musicians that I probably wasn't that aware of before. And um, look what is possible. And then... And then I went on on my own, discovering for myself and looking for my own voice. Mm. So this is why I look up to Francis or I look up to Gubaidulino or to, to the people that I admire, that they found their own voice. And that is what I wanted. I wanted to look and search for my own voice. And so they were kind of models. And they gave me the reassurance that it's possible to find your own voice, to present it, and to stay with it, and and to do your work connecting to it. Am I right in thinking you've played with Francis as well, like within a collaborative context before too? Yes. Then then after this meeting, we stayed in touch and we looked for possibilities to play together. And finally, um, I invited her to my festival. I started a, a festival for string instruments. Connected, of course, to to this um, fascination with strings. <laughs> Three years ago, <laughs> I started my own festival called Dara String Festival, and my idea for it was to connect people from the different worlds of new music. So some people come more from contemporary classical music or more written, composed contemporary music. Some people come from completely improvised background and they never really wanted to study or not interested to study classical music um, and and for me there is still a quite big division between these fields mm-hmm. and since I operate in both 
I see that in both they are really fantastic musicians and they don't necessarily know about each other or connect so much. Right, yeah. And so that was my idea to, to somehow find a, a platform where I invite people from the different scenes and we all come together to connect and to listen to each other and to play with each other, actually. So I curated in a way that there are pieces which can be played either from improvisers or from uh, musicians that work more with composed and written music. Uh, so we can come together because these are really fantastic people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that is where I invited Frances. So she played at the festival in 2020. I'm actually right now editing the videos from that year. So they will come out on the festival YouTube channel soon. Amazing. Finally. <laughs> Wicked. Yes. Yes. So. And with Utopian Spaces, the record you picked, I mean, is this something you still... I mean, how long ago was it that she gave it to you, actually? Huh, that's a good question. I think it was... Let me see when Maxi was. That was probably about eight years ago, I would say. Nice. Something like that. Eight years, seven, eight, nine, something like that, around there. Is it something you still play now, still listen to? I I mean, the records that I have normally, I don't re-listen to them too many times. I try to discover new things. Mm -hmm. And I re-listen to them in a certain context. For example... I'm interested in multiphonics in general, and then I look and I check what I have and what I've had, and maybe I see something. So I see Utopian Spaces, and I think, oh, maybe that's something to re-listen, and then I re-listen. Nice. So I don't have a habit to just re-listen to all my records. I try to discover new things. I, I listen a lot more to live music and live concerts, when it's possible, of course. <laughs> right, yeah, And And... Um, and then I, I re-listen to old records in a context, usually. With this Utopian Spaces album, obviously I, I had the chance, Francis sent over a few tracks for me to listen to, to check it out, because I haven't heard this record before. But uh, again, really astonishing, this one. Like the, yeah. the multiphonics piece is unreal, I think. Once you know that there's two bows being wielded in many of these pieces becomes quite mind-blowing to yes. consider what's yes. going on right you've got like this you know the, the harmonics really being brought out yes clearly from one bow and then an, another um going in on, on a completely different jag with in terms yeah. of pressure and, and rhythm and everything i mean what what are the aspects of this record specifically that again really jut out for you like blimey <laughs> that's possible <laughs> yeah well I think for me it's just phenomenal how how she focuses she hears something and then she focuses on that particular thing and she digs into it and and finds all the little nuances and details that she can to make it even more spectacular <laughs> like even right. even more you know yeah. like it's like it's often and and also this is probably why I am so fascinated with this record because I imagine her being in that space I think it's a church of some kind um, being in that space with her cello by herself recording this and just really letting the time to discover to stay with with the sound to be with the material without any pressure of uh, having to 
play for people or to record or anything. She was just there. It was kind of a, a research residency in some way. And, mm. and, and, and this, this for me is fascinating how one can have this time um, and the luxury to just stay with something and go really into detail and into developing that particular thing and finding a way to, yeah, to show it in all its magnificence. So this is for me happening in this record. Liliana, let's go to your final important record now. So, yeah, what have we got? Um, we got David Sylvian, uh, Mark Bastel and Rodri Davis with um, some guest appearance of Toshi Nakamura. Yeah. At a record called uh, There Is No Love. So this, this record, I... Um, this, this is probably touching upon the aesthetic that I am more connected to lately. So this, this record is a favorite and an important one from the last few years. Not so much coming from the background. Um, and again, I, I, I searched um, for something that still connects to strings. But of course, here we have Rodri who is playing harp and electronics um, in a way that is already going towards totally other worlds from the other two records. So for me, in general, I think I picked this record because there, there are a number of reasons why, why it's important to me. One is that, in general, the music of David Sylvian and, and actually the personality of David Sylvian um, and the way that he worked with improvisation and with improvising musicians in a completely different way than most other people that I know, like taking improvisation and actually composing with composed, well, composing with improvised music and layering out the voice on mm. top. Um, it's it's unique and it hasn't been done before, and so he he has a tremendous importance for me. Also personally, I I got to meet him and and actually we're we're quite close uh, by now. But he really opened up again new other doors for me in a way that I uh, in general I I haven't been interested in recording much up until my first release with, with a long-time duo partner, Michal Tike. Mm -hmm. I think that one is my first release that you will hear my music at all. Like, before that, you won't find any recorded, any recording, any release of my own music. Wow. Uh, because I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was, I think for me, the life experience of improvisation is so strong and so touching and so unique that I never wanted to, to imagine it being put on a record and replayed. 
mm-hmm. because it's something that happens and disappears and vanishes. And for me, this is this has this is just gorgeous. Something happens at this moment, and and it's an experience for all the people in the room or in the space and the musician itself and it never happens again and yeah. it cannot be hurt it cannot be caught it's like a butterfly that lands on your hand and then just flies out and <laughs> it cannot be caught you know yeah and so that's that's why for many years i wasn't interested in recording at all and i didn't i recorded some written music but But as I said, you won't find any of my own music or of my improvisations up until this first album with Michael Tike, which is called Already There. It came out in 2013. So that was the first ever recording that I did. And this was actually somehow the recording that, that made me change my mind about recordings in general. Uh, because we started playing as a duo in 2011, And for the first, I would say, almost a year, we were only playing alone and recording. We never performed publicly for many, many months. Hmm. And there was something very special about being alone in a room and playing music for nobody. And it actually made me realize that when you play for people, it's very beautiful and I love it. I am much more a live performer than a recording person. But it made me realize that there is a difference of, of how you play and, and which, which personal space you inhabit when you are by yourself or when you are with people. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, the same way in, in, in everyday life or in your musical life or in any case. When mm-hmm. you are alone, it's something else. When you are with people, it's something else. Both can be beautiful, not beautiful. That's another question. But it's just there is a difference. And I realized that the music that is recorded that way and, and, and recorded with the idea of being released is just different music. Yeah. And so I actually um, decided that it's, it's something that I would like to explore afterwards. And so here we are coming now to a year when I plan to release 10 releases, <laughs> <laughs> which is also <laughs> phenomenal for me. But, uh, uh, but yeah, but it's just the recording, the editing, the composing with the material, if you want, and, and the playing itself when it's, when it's thought for a release. It's just something else. And, yeah. and, I'm, uh, and so coming back to the record and to David Sylvian, um, he is, of course, a master recording artist i mean these albums are just incredible and they are they are the 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 manifestation of what a recording can provide Mm -hmm. they're i don't know how to explain it but this this is for me like the most convincing way for me to to realize that recording is fantastic and it can be amazing yeah so And then the other reason, one of the other reasons is that Mark Vastel and the label Comfort Recordings is, um, is putting out a lot of fantastic music. And I wanted to also touch upon the importance of, of record labels that are dealing with this kind of music and that are putting it out and supporting it. Because mm-hmm. this, this has um, place and it, it, it has to be, it, it should not be taken for granted that there are these labels that are dedicated to this music and to these musicians and to presenting this. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted also to, 
to mention the label that put out this record. And also a reason that this record particularly touches me is because I started working a lot with The Voice a couple of years ago. And for the first few years, I was really avoiding uh, words or direct narration. I, it wasn't interesting for me, and I also didn't find it uh, natural for myself. Mm. But um, this record and a few other records, I, there is one that is released by a friend of mine who is actually a choreographer, but works a lot with text. Her name is Lito Walkie. It's released together with Boris Hauf on, on his label, Shameless, um, which is also a lot. It has to do with text and in a very different way. But but somehow I started being interested in, in, in words and with text that can also be part of of something that is abstract in a way. Yeah. You know, in some in some strange way there can be text or words even if they're so narrative and so direct, they, they can still be abstract. And 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 this records is a very, very good example of that for me. Somehow I I, I think about it and I, I keep it in my mind and I, I yeah, I I have it as a stepping stone in some way for my own work wicked i mean the text is really interesting on this one as well so as i understand it's taken from a play by bernard marie colters yeah colters yeah i don't know this person so yeah it's it's such an interesting text so the play is called in the solitude of cotton fields but seems to fixate on this confrontation right between a, a dealer and exactly a client um and a client yeah. yeah so is there anything do you think about this text that allows it to sit within this as you say like a more abstracted context that that allows it to uh, say align with i guess maybe an ambiguity of communication or a something that weaves in and out of language and yet you're able to use language in this way as well yes well I think for me it's it's that even when we are dealing with words and text in this in this moment it's about sound still Mm -hmm. so for me the voice and the sound of the voice is is more um, how to say is something that I, I focus more on alongside the words, let's say. So it's not that the words have the priority. Right, it's, re- yes. it's still the sound. And the sound of this voice and the sound of all the other sounds around that are produced by all of them and blending together and creating this surreal, mystical, ambient space... It's just so beautiful and so touching for me. Mm. I and and so again, it's it's this mixture of yes, of course there is text and of course you hear it and of course you understand it and there is a meaning and but but the sound, wow. <laughs> so that's 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and this is this is a quality. This is a quality um, that for me it's rare to find when we are dealing with with sound pieces or with text pieces. Like this merging of the two is is a rare quality, and I absolutely adore it. So, another thing I wanted to ask you about was the fact that David has done artwork for a, a couple of your releases, right? Yep. Uh, how did... I mean, this is another great thing I should say about record labels is you get these collaborations that cross mediums like this, but what was it like working with David on the artwork of those releases and, and what did that bring as well to what you'd captured in sound for those releases? Well, as I said... David has a, a, a significant place um, in my life as as somebody that showed and and emphasized things that I probably didn't put on the foreground as much. And one of these things is the work that goes into a record besides the, the sound part, besides the music. Because, of course, a record is an object and he puts equal importance to the whole object as he would put the music. And that is something that I really learned from him. I was not so engaged with this part before that. Mm. Now, I do like visual art and I do like objects and, and I follow and I, I, I'm connected to this world and aesthetically also. But somehow... Um, I really started being much more aware and much more precise and, and much more perfectionist about it hmm. afterwards because I realized, yeah, of course this is as important as everything else, what you're going to put on the cover. I mean, it's... And it has to somehow um, reach the level of perfection that, that is aimed with the record itself. Right. And so it became a very... A uh, very different process for me when I put something out to find the right artwork or the connection to the to the right person who provides the artwork for me as as you probably got to know by now because I keep saying it it's very important what is the personality behind being art or music or anything like that mm -hmm. the person behind it is is very important to me and and this is also connected to the artwork that I use for records now so back then when when I was releasing these records where he provided the artwork um, he was just he just offered certain things and he was listening to the music already before it's been released and somehow we yeah we found common ground there and we communicated around this time a lot and so he gave me this um, covers and and designed even one of my CDs called As Found which is yeah he designed the whole cover before we put it out so with all the humility of someone who has something towards someone who might want something and I see that you do want something just like seeing a light go on high up in the building at dusk I'm approaching you just the way the dusk approaches the first light. Slowly, 
respectfully. Almost affectionate. Bilana, I have one more question for you, which is around how you relate to music now. We've kind of touched on this a bit throughout the conversation, but how do you tend to bring like recorded music into your life at the moment like how do you tend to consume it where do you tend to listen to it what does life as a music listener look like for you day to day well of course we all know that we had covid and a lot of things suddenly were happening in our personal space listening wise yeah, yeah. it wasn't anymore going to concerts or or being in in a place with a lot of other people and listening and i think as i said like i went from a place where i was not interested in recording at all back in the um, years before 213 to a place right now where i really find it very special to be by by myself either when i record and produce or when i listen hmm. listening by yourself also provides a very good atmosphere for focusing completely without any disturbance mm -hmm. it is possible of course at concerts but somehow i don't know somehow because of this situation and because of being a lot alone i had the time to really sit and listen long time to music which i have to admit i haven't done so much before i have children and and a very busy life and i'm a single mother and i i haven't really had the luxury to have a couple of hours to just listen to music for right. many years yeah yeah and then suddenly i did and then and i realized that there is something beautiful about being home finding the peacefulness and the time uh, to sit and really focus, listen to something very long time. I'm in general f interested now in long formats. I play for five, seven hours, no problem, and love it because <laughs> you reach wow. very deep. <laughs> or I listen for that many hours. Or like, I don't know, wow. I'm very extreme with this at the moment. <laughs> yes. I did, a, last year, I presented my first exhibition in a gallery where I created a few installations. There is one sound installation, a video installation, and another kind of a media, few media installations and posters and things. Um, but I actually played at the gallery throughout the opening of the exhibition. So I played between five and seven hours every day for Whoa, one week. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and it's wow. amazing. You you transport into another world, and mm. it it doesn't feel long or short or anything like that. It's just you are you are in another world. We are anyway in a different state of mind, I think, as mm -hmm. performers when we perform. At least, actually, I should speak about me. So I find this shift between how you are in your daily life or in life in general happening. The moment before you step into improvising, especially improvising or performing, but especially improvising. And then it's a completely different state. And when you have the length of seven hours to be in that state, you reach much further hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same with listening. 
if if you find the i mean it's of course very challenging um but i think if if one finds the possibility to stay in this mode in this state in this in this uh, otherworldness for a longer time there there is something quite special and and a lot of openings happen which do not happen in a short amount of time that is a lovely place to wrap up Liliana thank you so much for talking about yes your important records your your recent albums yourself as well and your duo series and everything else besides it's been wonderful speaking with you thank you very much Jack it was a pleasure for me too thank you and to everyone listening we'll see you next time goodbye bye bye